Welcome in everybody to the first episode of the Crystal Basketball Podcast. My name is Ethan Fuller. I'm joined by Rashad Landers. We're here to discuss some of the up-and-coming players in basketball and in the world, really. We were going to be talking about the NBA draft, college, high school, any class in high school, and we're all about looking into the future. I mean, that's pretty much our name, Crystal Basketball Podcast. This is our first episode since it's draft lottery time. We'll be breaking down four of our favorite sleepers in the NBA draft. None of these guys are projected to really go in the lottery or even the first round, but we still like them a lot. So to start things off, since you don't know us too well, you'll get to know us soon. My name is Ethan Fuller. I'm a senior at Boston University. I talk about BU basketball for WTBU, write some high school sports for the Boston Globe, and I've been into basketball for a long time. I've really been starting to get into deep dives on prospects. I still have a ways to go as far as being an expert, so take everything I say with a grain of salt, but I'm pretty confident about this draft. Uh, I'll introduce my co-host. This is Rashad Landers. Tell us a bit about yourself. All right, so guys, my name is Rashad Landers. I'm a freshman at the University of Arkansas. Um, I'm kind of a sports expert, high school, college. I'm a graphic designer as well. Rashad edits. I uh, team up with some of the top guys in the state, like Nick Winger Designs in Arkansas. Uh, so yeah, I'm happy to be here, and I'm happy to be with Ethan as we get the show kicked off. Yeah, we're really excited for this episode. I know we've spent, we pretty much came to a consensus on four guys at the end of last week. We spent the whole week kind of diving into their film, their their rankings, what scouts are saying about them. And now here we are. So we're going to spend probably about 15-ish minutes breaking down each player, what they are, who we like, who we don't like, as far as team fits go, rankings. Uh, we'll get right into it. And I know the first guy that we wanted to talk about, this is the person that Rashad nominated, Zeke Naji, the freshman big from Arizona, or I, I guess he's not really a freshman anymore if he's entering the draft, but he, uh, high energy, big, has some promising shooting touch, and I guess I'll hand the floor to Rashad first because you picked him, so give us your your breakdown. What initially jumps out to you about Najee? Well, yeah, um, as Ethan was saying, he was kind of hitting the spot, man. Uh, 6'11 with a 7'1 wingspan, uh, a shooting touch that's uh, obviously probably the best one in college basketball. I'm going to be completely honest, guys. What I put for his strengths was, um, of course, the shooting percentage, uh, the mid-range pick-and-pop ability. Uh, he made uh, close to 40% of his shots from the mid-range pick-and-pop. But one of his underrated assets is finishing. He finished 62% of his shots that were non-post-up shots. That's big when you consider the NBA as more of a uh, give-and-go type game or you don't see a lot of post-ups no more. We've kind of ran away from the traditional big. You see guys like JaVale McGee, who uh, rim runs for the Lakers and shot blocks. Uh, but that's one of the weaknesses for Zeke Naji. He's not a very tenacious shot blocker. Uh, you know, he kind of plays where he doesn't square up his chest to the defenders. So a lot of times you see a lot of goaltending calls from him. And you also see a lot of fouls. So that's one of the things he has to work on. Um, also, his passing, uh, there's times where instead of the pick and pop, he would have an open shooter, which can be considered the extra pass, which is what a lot of coaches like. Instead, he would shoot maybe a contested shot or two instead of passing it to the open guy, which is Nico Mannion or somebody this year. So that's another improvement that he does have to work on. But uh, the upside of it is his shooting mechanics are very well to where he could be more consistent with his jump shot, even though it's very pretty and we see the ability, it's a little inconsistent, but he's a high motor kid. He's a very uh, working kid. I can see the shooting coming down. Uh, very good sleeper in uh, Zignaji. 
Yeah, I completely agree with everything you've said. As far as the shooting goes, that was really the the thing that got me intrigued by Najee when I was looking at him is his mechanics. They're inconsistent, as you said, but when he's locked in, they look pretty great. You talked about the mid-range game. The mid-range game is fantastic for him. And I think that'll help with him being able to create a shot when he's going up against a tough matchup and he can't always finish inside. The other thing that looks pretty good to me down the road is that he shot 76% from the free throw line and that plus the mechanics usually is a pretty solid indicator that down the road, you're going to get a three-point shot out of this guy. And I know he only made 29% of his threes this year, but there's definitely a lot of promise there. And you consider that he's young, he's got a lot of room to grow, a lot of time to grow. I think a three-point shot from Najee would be huge as far as how versatile he can be on offense. You talked about the passing. That was pretty, that was the glaring flaw that I noticed when I was watching him. He really struggles. He makes a lot of tough passes that are forces that end up being turnovers. He's not a great ball handler, despite being fast and speedy, uh, has some issues with turnovers, really can try and force it in too much. But honestly, I'm okay with that because he's young. And I think that it's, we don't expect him maybe to be a high impact player from the opening tip, but He's got a lot of room to grow and there is so much promise there that I really like what he can potentially become as like an offensive versatile big man. Oh yeah, no doubt. Uh, and for you guys who are wondering right now, he's projected around the early first round, early, I mean, early second round, uh, late first round. So kind of 30 to 40s range guy right now, uh, according to NBA draft.net, they have him going to the Hornets who, you know, kind of needs a big in my opinion. So that will be a great pickup for the Hornets. Yeah, I could see him with the Hornets. I think they're such a strange team for me every single year with the rotation <laughs> of bigs they have. Like, it's Cody Zeller, who's kind of done some good things and also some bad things. And then you got Bismack Biombo, who's very defensive-oriented. Um, maybe Najee is, like, a good compliment to a guy like them if they're not taking someone like Wiseman or Okongu in the, in the lottery or something, or they're not going after a big. So I could see Najee there. I think – the the swing skill as far as what Najee is is as you said on the defensive end one is a rim protector because he's he's not that physically imposing I know he's six he's six eleven but he's only two thirty ish pounds uh, might have some issues with kind of the muscular like bruiser types of the NBA he's also not super great on the perimeter even though he's fast like he he has some issues guys will blow by him because he can't rotate quick enough with his hips. Uh, can be a little slow-footed at times but there's promise there and I know you mentioned you mentioned the range really I could see anywhere from the late first all the way down to 40 or 50 depending on what teams think about his upside and I think that's really interesting the Hornets you mentioned are one team I know I was looking at the athletic and they had him uh, let me find where they pulled him up uh, I believe he was in the he was in the early 30s oh they actually had him at 29 to the Raptors which is another interesting fit I think because the Raptors do such a good job of player development probably the best in the league honestly so if they can teach him how to like be a little bit smarter with the way he plays defense and develop that shot there's a lot of a lot of great potential with this with this guy and I'm I wasn't as high on him before we started watching and you've kind of turned me around I I don't know if I'm all in yet, but definitely feel a lot better about him than, than I did a week ago. Yeah, and, and just one more thing on Najee. Uh, it's, it might be a big, big push, but he has probably one of the best hands in the NBA draft from a big this year. 
Yeah, <laughs> definitely true. I'm, I'm looking at my, so I had for fits on him. I had uh, the Orlando Magic at 45 because then you kind of, if you pair him with a guy that plays defense like Mo, Mo Bamba, um, I mean, they've also shown that they can develop offensive bigs like Nikola Vucevic. Uh, I also had the Celtics. This is an interesting one for me. I mean, I'm wearing a Celtics shirt right now. Uh, they have picks 26, 30, and 47. So maybe they like him a lot and take him at 26 or 30, or he's false to them at 47. If I'm the Celtics, I take Najee because they can develop guys as far as shooters really well. Energy big, floor spacer, and the Celtics have shown they don't necessarily need a defensive anchor as their center. So whether it's Daniel Tice, who's solid, Ines Cantor really is one of the worst defensive centers in the league and they still play him and they still have success with him so even even if Najee gets nowhere on defense he could still find a role there because he plays with such energy yeah no doubt Celtics uh Raptors great developmental organizations could totally see him at those two programs yeah uh before before we go on any other important things to note with Najee any any big insights that you had any swing skills anything else that was important that you wanted to talk about for him uh i don't think i covered the motor a lot i think the he has one of the best motors in the draft which honestly in this draft class is kind of lacking there's a lot of guys with no effort but naji is one of the guys although sometimes his skill set struggles he's going to give you 100 percent all the time yeah i agree with that and you can tell just from watching even when he makes a mistake or something he's always you could tell he's 100% committed to most of the plays. Uh, and I think that's, especially in someone so young, that's a great tool to have. So I like that too about him. Uh, we'll move on. I guess we'll, we'll alternate. So we'll go with one of my guys now. Uh, this is someone, we actually, by chance, picked two Mississippi State players. And the one I went with is Robert Woodard II. I really have come around on Woodard. I didn't really know too much about him. Even in the spring, really, I kind of thought he was just a name floating in like the second round, but he is really interesting. 6'7", 230, 235 pounds, seven one wingspan, shot 43% from beyond the arc this year. And I know that wasn't high volume, but you can see between his strength, athleticism, and shooting potential that this guy is going to be someone that teams love as far as 3 and D. I think he's more of a power forward than a small forward, honestly. And I think he has the strength and size to really guard two through four, maybe even some smaller fives, just because he's so athletic. He's such a great defender and so long. And so there's a lot of things to like. Woodard, someone that I think still needs to do some growth. I know he's a sophomore already, but I think there's a, so much potential in him being exactly the type of low usage role player guy that NBA teams love. So I'm, I'm putting this guy way up my boards. Yeah, no doubt. I don't know why, but uh, two Villanova guys popped up in my head, two Villanova NBA guys in comparison. So if we were looking at uh, Woodard from the guard, uh, kind of hybrid forward spot, I kind of thought of Mikael Bridges. They're about the same height, uh, both guys who are defensive three and D guys. Uh, and then if you want to go to like the four or five or small ball five, Eric Pascal for the Warriors is another comparison. Even though he doesn't have the uh, weight of Pascal, it's kind of the same skill set there. Um, but yeah, I love Woodard. Um, honestly, he is a great kid. 
you know, uh, tremendous upsides with the wingspan. I mean, wingspans are very popular in the NBA when it comes to defense. So, yeah, I uh, love Robert uh, Woodard. Yeah, I think his his length is so huge. And that even you think about him at 6'7", you're, you're thinking, okay, he's not – he doesn't have the height maybe to go against threes and some of these fours, but he's so strong and that length is going to help him so much. And every time I – every time I watched him, he's – able to stay in front of his man and he moves his feet really well. He's not naturally fast. He's, he's not going to like blow by you on offense or like anticipate and jump and get a ton of steals, but he can move so well laterally and that coupled with the strength, he's just going to be such an imposing defender. And I think that even if he's not a starting caliber player, he's going to be someone that at the very minimum fills a huge role and is a, critical specialist and if you need a stop you're gonna put him in and get a stop I think and I think the critical part is the three is the three-point shot because it doesn't look fantastic it's a, he's a little stiff um he's come a, he's come a long way he shot 27 percent his freshman year 43 percent as a sophomore but he only shoots 64 percent from the free throw line uh only made 33s he didn't he didn't shoot a whole lot of threes this year and I think that's something where you might have to wait a little bit on his three-point shot because he's going to have to work it up to NBA range. He's going to have to prove that he can maybe shoot it on the move a little bit more. Right now, he's just kind of a spot-up catch-and-shoot guy. Um, if he can shoot a little bit kind of off a cut or something, then I feel better about him. But that three-point shot, if you unlock that, all of a sudden he's he's a starter, low-usage, strong, defensive power forward in today's league which is honestly something that every team could want <laughs> yeah man uh it's i like how versatile he is he's so versatile that instead of mississippi state listing him as a forward they listed him as a guard on the roster wow <laughs> so that can kind of tell you what they think about him in terms of uh how mobile and versatile he is that they if Mississippi State consider him as a guard, then we maybe we could see him at that two or three position, uh, which, you know, I could see him fitting in in the NBA. Like I said, Mikal Bridges is the guy who plays the two or three. Yeah, I like that. I honestly think he's – he's if you took Mikael Bridges, slowed him down a little bit, and made him stronger, I think he's, like, a nice compliment. Like, if the Suns could, could pair those two, honestly, and then have, like, a Booker – I don't know where Cam Johnson fits into this, but Cam Johnson's around there as like a spacer, but you have Bridges and Woodard together. They'd be such a, such a great combination defensively. And then the shooting would come, hopefully come around for Woodard. And then that'd be amazing. Yeah. They'll kind of be like uh, a low level Paul George and Kawhi. Cause you know, both of those guys are six, eight, six, nine. And that'll kind of be the Suns version of that with, uh, Bridges, who's six seven six eight, and then Woodard, who's six seven six eight, and Cam Johnson himself is about six eight too. So you know, I like the six eight six nine versatile guys, man. I just love it. Yeah, I think because you can you can slide them around everywhere. Like Mikael Bridges, you could play at the two three. Maybe you can probably couldn't really get away with him at the four, but Woodard, you could play at maybe sometimes the two three and four. Cam Johnson, you could play the three or four, and you're going to have some level of success there for Woodard and make no mistake. I'm not comparing him to like Kawhi in that regard that he's going to be a star. And I don't think 
his problems and I have, these are the weaknesses. He doesn't really handle the ball that well. He's pretty bad in transition. Um, so if you're a team that runs and guns like the Bucks or the Celtics, you're probably not going to play him a whole lot. He doesn't pass very well. So he's not going to initiate anything. He's really, he's really confined to being a role player because he can't create too much on his own. Can't pass that well. And he's not like a, extraordinary athlete athlete as far as speed goes so you're not going to expect that much creation to come but he's going to be someone where he locks up his his man he'll hit some threes hopefully if that comes around and then he'll throw down one or two monster dunks in a game where you're like whoa who who is this guy like i don't see him handling the ball that much but he just skies in for a dunk and and i think that's going to be such a fun player that is going to be a net positive on most teams yeah, no doubt. One or two dunks, Derrick Jones, Joe, your type guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I seriously, like, the first time I, I watched him, he, he postered some guy on, I think it was, oh, man, maybe it was Alabama. I don't, I don't remember what team it was. But, like, he, he just takes one, two steps, and he's, at, and he's exploding to the rim, and it's crazy. Uh, his, so his range, I don't know if we've talked about this yet, he was at, I had him at the kind of 25 to 45 range, I would not be surprised if a team late in the first took a shot on him. His name doesn't have a lot of hype around it. So at the same time, maybe he falls to the 40 to 45 fits that I like. I would love for him to be on the tip rolls at 33. I think he would be so perfect and exactly what they need where you have D'Angelo Russell, potentially Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns as great offensive players that do not play an ounce of defense whatsoever. And then you slide uh, Jarrett Culver, hopefully making some growth. And he already was pretty good as a rookie on defense. And then you stick eventually Robert Woodard there at the four. I think that's a, that's fantastic because Woodard can cover up some of Towns's defensive missteps. He can spot up and hit some threes as D'Angelo Russell makes plays. And really, like, you don't need him to to take shots because he'll just have the open spot of three, hopefully, and then the finishing touches, and he's not going to, like, command the ball at all. So I think a team like that where you have the creators and you can just kind of plug him in and say, go help us out on defense because we need help, I think that's one of those fits, like the Timberwolves, is the ideal place for him to land. Yeah, I like the Timberwolves, honestly. Uh Either the Timberwolves or one of the developmental programs with him as well, like you were saying, Celtics or Raptors. I could see that. Honestly, I could see the Warriors as well with one of their Ooh. late picks taking Woodard. Okay, and do you – so do you have him as like a four and you try and do a little bit what you've done with Draymond? I know Draymond, Draymond's different because he's obviously so much better of a passer and a playmaker than, than Woodard will ever be, but maybe because maybe – you can play kind of that small ball. You've shown you can play a small ball guy there. Maybe Woodard fits. Yeah, I was thinking they can either develop him into a Draymond role or this would be kind of pushing it, but kind of a Jordan Bill role, another guy who wasn't, okay. you know, too kind of big. He's around the same height and weight, but, you know, he was able to hold his own in times in the paint. Yeah, and I, I, I could see that. I, Jordan Bell's a tricky player for me because he had such a great rookie year and it was like, wow, he's going to, he's going to be a steal another fine by the Warriors. And then he kind of fizzled out. He was on the, he was on the Wolves last year for a decent amount of time. So I got to watch him a little bit 
and he was he had some flashes where it was like oh he can be this great energy big and then he fizzled out and he wouldn't play for a couple games because his defense is really such an issue so but I could see like Woodard potentially coming in and being Jordan Bell in that energy sense where he can ignite you with some finishes at the rim and then maybe maybe get a little bit more out of him than you would have gotten with Bell where you get the defensive stops too and that kind of consistent level of effort that Bell struggled with at times. Yeah, uh, no doubt, man. Robert Woodard has a huge upside. It just kind of depends on where the program he lands. Uh, maybe he might do some time in the G League, which is very developmental for a lot of guys now because it's improved a lot. But, yeah, I'm really, really interested to see where he goes. Yeah, I, I agree with you. G League probably is for the best. I'm assuming most of these second-round guys, Najee, too, is probably going to start off in the G League. Uh, and then we can go on to his teammate who who you selected. And I think this is a – Really interesting choice by you to pick Reggie Perry, uh, Mississippi State. He he really kind of ran that team. I'll I'll let you talk about him a little bit more, but he's he's a really interesting player with a really interesting set of skills. Yeah, no doubt. So Reggie Perry, uh, a guy who actually played his grassroots basketball in Arkansas for the Arkansas Hawks, uh, also known as Joe Johnson Hawks now. And they, uh, he actually was committed to Arkansas before he was committed to Mississippi State. Uh, kind of flipped his dad, went to Mississippi State. So that's kind of drew him there. But yeah, Reggie Perry, one of the few guys in college basketball to average a double-double, average 17.4 points per game and 10.1 rebounds. Uh, an interesting skill set uh, from the big perspective. We've never seen anything like this. Uh, 6'10", 250, uh, with a seven-foot seven foot wingspan as well. Um, it's not a bully ball guy, though. It's kind of an interesting skill set because he's not the quickest with handle or has the tightest handle. But he was able to get past guys, a quick first step, of course. And there were times where he would shoot the ball. If he shoots the ball in rhythm, it's going in. But if it's not in rhythm, I'm going to be honest, man, it's completely off, which is one of the weaknesses. <laughs> it's like uh, he got to get consistent with that perimeter defense. He has to get consistent with that as well kind of gets lackadaisical when it's time for him to go outside the paint, which could be kind of trouble when you kind of see switching of screens or uh, just hedging in general. And, uh, yeah, ball security, he averaged 2.9 turnovers a game, which is nearly three turnovers a game. But at the same time, Mississippi State put the ball in his hands almost all the time to depend on scoring. So you could also kind of blaming on, uh, blame it on that. But rebounding and playmaking are his strengths. Also, his shooting potential, like I said, it's a great shot, great form, but when it's off, it's off, and that's kind of bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he he's he was very confusing for me to watch um, because there's so much that I really did like. Like the first the first thing I noticed, I was watching the Mississippi State Kentucky um, to k- kind of encapsulate a lot of the guys that we're going to be talking about. And the first thing I noticed is he he drives in and then does like a crossover step back move into like a 20, it was like a 20 footer. And I was like, Whoa, this guy is 250 pounds. And he's like crossing over and stepping back and knocking down these shots. And, and so that was really interesting to see. And, but as you said, like, if he's not in rhythm, it's really kind of tough to watch the shooting. And I know he shot what 30, I think it was like 32% this year. And yeah, 32%, that's, yeah. that's not great. And at the same time, it's not like, that's promising that he, was knocking them down and it's 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 a really weird it's a it's a weird middle ground to be in where 
it wasn't really that good, but at the same time, like his shot looks pretty good and, and it could be a lot better, but I don't know. Can you trust that he's consistent? And my other question for you is that to start on offense is his ability to kind of create shots and at the same time pound it inside. Is that going to be helpful against NBA bigs? And why do you think so? Um, his, I honestly, man, it's hard with Reggie Perry, man. It's it's very hard. Uh, for one, because of his tendencies, you never know what he's gonna do. And uh, with Mississippi State, they kind of didn't ask him to post up a lot, from what I've seen. And uh, but can he post up against guys in the NBA? Um, probably with a bang bang scenario. I'm not really sure, but if you use the skill set, kind of like an up and under or multiple pump fakes. He could uh, bang inside, but I kind of see him as kind of a guy that works from that 15 to 20 foot range, kind of like Anthony Davis, and then make his move from there where he'd either be driving to the paint or, you know, a couple, one dribble uh, crossover into a shot, you know, once he developed his shot. Because he's not actually that bad. He shot 50%. So that means either he was making it or missing it, Mm -hmm. uh, which is pretty good when you think about it. So in terms of banging in the paint, man, I can't really see it a lot, but uh, from that 15 to 20 range, making a move like Anthony Davis, I can see that. Yeah. I, I like that. And I think even though it's not your traditional like role of a, of a center and maybe that turns off some people like that's, that's still valuable to have that ability to kind of pick and pop and like set up a play where you can just get him to turn around, spot up and, and knock one down. Maybe he faces up and knocks down some shots. And I think that's, that's still a valuable skill. He's also really good on the glass. Uh, and I think that'll probably translate, even though he's not, he's a little bit undersized at 6'10". 250 pounds means he's going to battle, and I expect him to continue to battle. He'll probably get a lot of rebounds, and that'll be helpful. You did mention the the perimeter defense, which is an issue. Like, he, he, really, he really struggled there. He's pretty flat-footed he's he's big too so that has me a little bit more worried about can he can he improve that but at the same time he's going to be able to battle with people inside where what kind of team maybe not a specific team but what kind of team can make that work if you're someone that that's going to struggle so much and then maybe can kind of help it out from inside um Right now, according to NBADraft.net, they have the Kings, who honestly, I'm I really don't want them to go to the Kings, Same. man. We haven't seen much improvement from like Harry Giles and stuff, even though he's been battling injuries. We haven't really seen much improvement from the Kings, but um, I can see him uh, at Dallas, man. Dallas needs another body inside. You know, they have kind of the one-two punch with uh, Porzingis and the other uh, foreign guy. I can't, Cleaver. I can't, yeah, Cleaver. Yes. But outside of those two guys, Dallas doesn't really have any other bigs. They're running Finney Smith at the four right now, and he's not even a natural four. So they could use a guy like Reggie Perry, and we've seen what they did to develop big men themselves. Yeah, I, I could see that, especially because they, I mean, they've had, they have an interesting big rotation where you have like, those those two, as you mentioned, who can both stretch the floor, and then you have, I think Salah Majri, but he he's been kind of in and out because he's been hurt so much. And then Bo, I mean Boban, who I I love Boban, but he's like he's going to be confined to a small role on most teams. And then you have 
Dwight Powell, who's battled injuries, and he's like a solid offensive big, but he's not – there isn't a whole lot of growth there for him. So I think a guy like Reggie Perry would be interesting because he can come in right away. And I guess Dallas at this point is a win-now team where you have Luka and, and Porzingis, and, I mean, they're in the playoffs. So you could get you could get Reggie Perry to come in, get you rebounds, maybe create some shots as a bench scorer, and that could be helpful so that you're not just relying on Luca and Seth Curry and your guards to really kind of set the tone for your scoring. Maybe that's helpful. So I could, I could see something like that. Yeah, he could definitely improve that Dallas bench. But uh, another thing I want to uh, take on Reggie Perry is um, he has the will to get better. And that's what I like because there are multiple categories uh, statistics-wise that he improved on uh, from his freshman to his sophomore year. Uh, you know, the field goal percentage only went down by 0.2, so he stayed consistent there. But the three-point percentage, he only shot 28% as a freshman, moves it up to 32 as a sophomore. 71% from the free throw line moves that up to 77 as a sophomore. Rebounds improved by three. Assists improved drastically. He was almost averaging zero assists as a freshman. He moves that up to two. And uh, blocks, he goes all the way up to 1.2 points per game. So, you know, he's so signs that he wants to prove he wants to get better. You know, so you can't really argue with him, you know, uh, I think in the NBA, they'll try to slim him down a little bit, maybe get him around that 240 range. And then that's where I can see that we, where he does his damage if he improves the jump shot. Yeah, I could see that. And the, yeah, the jump shot's big. And you mentioned the 77% from the line. I think that's pretty, that's a positive indicator that if he can get that, that three point shot, maybe up to even like 34, 35%, I think that opens a lot because he's able to, he's able to kind of, get inside with a little bit of speed and then maybe create something from the mid range and attack a closeout. And I know that's kind of weird as a 6'10, 240 pound, probably a center to, to say that about him, but he can, he can do that. And I guess that's a unique part about him is that he can attack. If he has this three point shot, that'll open up a lot for him. And as long as he doesn't, I know he has some issues with drawing charges and kind of having tunnel vision. So if he can like fix some of that and have a little bit more discipline, he can really be kind of a Swiss army knife of an offensive player. And I think that's a always going to be a skill set. I have, so these teams I had for you, I'll, tell me if you like or don't like these fits. Um, I have the Celtics who could scoop him up maybe at 47. Uh, if he falls again, I know we've talked about anyone looks good on the Raptors, but let's I had the Raptors as a great fit for him. And this team doesn't actually have a second round pick, but I really like his fit with the Miami Heat. Um, do any of those three stand out to you? Well, of course, the Celtics and Raptors, Raptors are always going to have an advantage <laughs> with their development program. But that's another program, man. They're up there with the Celtics and Raptors. The Heat, if you see what their young core did this year, none, um, uh, Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, and even first-year All-Star Bam Adebayo, man, they're very good with, you know, developing bigs. And I can honestly see Reggie Perry with the heat. That was a great one right there. Because, you know, besides Bam, they're kind of – I mean, Kelly Olenek, you know, he's going to stretch the floor. But if you can bring another guy in that's almost as close to Bam out of bio, which, you know, he's not completely there yet with Reggie Perry, but they are kind of almost the same, you know, same height, you know, same kind of build. 
Uh, Bam's skill set is obviously there, but if you can develop Reggie Perry into Bam's skill set, you might be playing with two all-star bigs and probably can play them together. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that's that's I, that's a little bit what I thought about, is that he's he's like Bam in that they're a little bit smaller, but they they're pretty quick for their size. And also, I mean, yeah, you talked about the Heat's track record with development. I mean, Bam's been amazing. They're bigs. They've also done a pretty good job with the bigs that they've had. Kelly Olenek is strange, but they've, they've had him stretch the floor and he's been pretty effective. And then Myers Leonard got him to, to really stretch the floor. And, and I think if you can do that with Reggie Perry and get him again, up to like a competent three point shooter, all of a sudden you're working with a guy that, is very is similar in a lot of ways to what you run with Bam. I wouldn't call them the same because Bam is a much better defender in my mind. But like again, there's a lot of lot of things to like as far as their their build goes. What you might be able to run with them on offense, and I think that I think that fits really interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess like Celtics and Raptors that wasn't that flashy. But what I was thinking with Reggie Perry is like you put him next to a guy in Serge Ibaka who can also shoot fairly well. He's actually gotten a lot better as a shooter and Ibaka is going to cover up for a lot of the mistakes on defense that Reggie Perry makes. I think that's also a pretty interesting fit considering that Gasol's going to, I mean, he's taken on a smaller role. He's going to retire pretty soon probably. And then you're going to be looking at who, who slides next to Ibaka. Did you know Serge Ibaka is only 30 years old? I thought he was way older. <laughs> no, nah, I actually didn't know that. Yeah. Right he, now it says uh the Heat's looking at Jemias Ramsey with that uh first round pick. I don't know where I go with that one though. Yeah, that the first round pick's interesting because it's pretty they're what, pick twenty three or four? Twenty, pick twenty. Oh, they're twenty, okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean Jemias Ramsey, that's that's high. I I like him, but yeah, twenties. That 20 is such a weird spot because you're hoping that someone from the lottery falls, which in this draft it potentially could, or because this is such like a weird draft, you're probably going to see a lot of teams reach on someone, even in like the 20 range. So maybe they reach and take, I don't know, even a guy like Reggie Perry, who's who I haven't really seen on any first round mock drafts, but man, who, know, who knows really what's going to happen. If I'm them, I'd reach and take Jaden McDaniels, another guy that I love. <laughs> yeah. Mc, yeah. So, actually, I'd, I would like to ask you about McDaniels. I know we didn't technically include him, but I do want to get your thoughts because McDaniels is someone that's so polarizing in the draft world. And because, he, I mean, he didn't have a great year in Washington. It was very, very up and down. And a lot of people didn't buy his effort and attitude. A lot of people still think – he has all the tools to be kind of this crazy weapon that you could have. So what do you, yeah, where are you on the McDaniel scale? All right, so Jay McDaniels, of course, another guy like the 610, 6'11 range. Uh, but the thing about him, he's only 185. So this is another guy that you can kind of put him in the Michael Porter range. Uh, what you were saying was, you know, uh, the motor and, you know, laziness, it wasn't really there. And it was kind of hard, man. Because you can't honestly judge him on defense uh, because Washington runs that uh, packing two three zone where you kind of had him, you know, playing the hybrid bottom row, but also at the top at the same time because of his length. But on offense, I mean, there were times where he redeemed unstoppable because if his shot is on, it's on. And uh, he kind of has like the 
Katie's skill set, but he's not KD, if you know what I mean. Yeah. But uh, his shot is very proven for the 6'10 range. Honestly, I can't really compare him to his brother, who's in the Hornets program. They're two completely different players with the same build. He's the better shooter than his brother. So if I'm taking Jaden McDaniels, I'm honestly taking him for upside right now. There's a guy I can see him going through a G League program for maybe one or two years and then coming up. Uh, where do you play him in the NBA? Honestly, the three or four, I, the five, no, not at all. Two or one is pushing it. So he's only got the three or four, honestly, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think, to me, McDaniel screams – the he would be a great spot. I think he screams Oklahoma City Thunder at 25 because the Thunder love to take these guys who are – fantastic athletes, crazy upside, but it's going to take some time with them. Like they did this with Terrence Ferguson. They did it with Hammy Diallo. They're doing it right now with Lou Dort and all the, all these guys who could be something really special. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I would love to see a team like the Thunder take him. The heat would also be great because they need, they need more kind of athletic wings and I think he fit the build. And as you said, like they they could develop this guy. McDaniels is weird. Is he's so strange because he shot he shot thirty four percent from three, which isn't that's that's not very good. But as you said, like it when it's on, it's on. And I wouldn't be surprised if that came around. That he's one of the guys where it's really up to him what what he wants to be in the NBA. He could be a dynamic starting caliber scorer for a team or he doesn't get anywhere how how ironic is it that i mentioned michael porter jr and they actually have him projected to go to the nuggets with their 22nd pick <laughs> yeah wait they had him they had him at the nuggets yeah wait, that's where they have wow. him. yeah, yeah. there i mean maybe maybe them team like the nuggets too I, they've shown i mean they took michael porter they took bull bowl too but i mean you had a lot of the same questions about Bull Bull as far as like effort motoring goes with Jaden McDaniels. So who knows? Wouldn't be, there's a lot of teams in that range in that 20 to 25 range. Um, we talk about the heat. We talk about the nuggets. We talk about the thunder, a team like the Celtics at 26, cause they are so deep. They could afford to take a flyer on him. Maybe the the Knicks at 27 because they need to find, just find players that could be good. Maybe they take him at 27. There's so, yeah, there's so many spots here where I would not be surprised if a team took a flyer on him. Even though, if you were talking like ready day one impact guys in this draft, he's probably not in the top like 35 or 40. It's going to take some time with him. Yeah. Everybody's talking about the top five in this draft. Everybody's excited about that. If you're a sports fan, you're honestly excited for 20 to 30. Because this year's draft, man, it's hit or miss with a lot of guys. And that 20 to 30 range may be the most dangerous range. It's it's so hit or miss. And so and because there are a lot of teams in here that that are playoff teams, but teams that need that you feel like need something else, like the Utah Jazz, for example, uh, the Nuggets, the Oklahoma City Thunder, the Knicks have the the Knicks have the Clippers pick. There are a bu- yeah, there are a bunch of guys in there that, sure, they're playoff teams or good teams, but at the same time, you can't af- you really need to hit on this pick. And it's a crazy draft where, like, we've talked about Zeke Naji, 
and Robert Woodard, they're pro- they could very easily go in the first round. Maybe Reggie Perry, for all we know, jumps into the first round. But at the same time, you're taking a flyer on this guy in Jaden McDaniels, who is not nearly the current player as either of those other three, but could end up being so much better than all of them. Who knows what's going on? Yeah, I think Utah, they need a they need a small forward, man. They got it. Joe Ingles is good. Royce O'Neal is very small to be small forward, so they need a small forward. <laughs> yeah, U- Utah's a weird team because, like, they um, they're they're in a spot where you're you've committed to Donovan Mitchell. You've also committed to defense first, but you really don't have enough supporting scores to to commit to also defense first. And I think that I know they're winning the series against the Nuggets. I would not be surprised if the Nuggets turned it around and won this series because Utah is so inconsistent with who they're getting to support Donovan Mitchell on offense. Gobert does it sometimes. Ingles does it sometimes. And Jordan Mike Conley, Conley yeah. has to get hot. Clarkson's mm-hmm. been consistent, but Conley is the dependent factor. Yeah, I think they honestly, if I'm Utah, um, wouldn't be surprised if they went with, you've mentioned a small forward. I also think they might try and get another point guard because Conley is, you have Conley, you have Jordan Clarkson who could slide to shooting guard. I mean, you have him at either guard spot and he's going to be like a microwave guy. Um, Utah at 23. It's it's very interesting you mentioned point guard because at 23, according to NBADraft.net, they're looking at Kyra Lewis. That would be a steal for them. I know. <laughs> I mean, draft Twitter thinks Lewis is a lottery level prospect. I I kind of agree with that in a lot of ways. And I wouldn't be surprised if he went in the lottery, but 23 would be awesome for Utah. I think Lewis is the youngest player in the draft. Cause I remember watching him his freshman year at Alabama. He was 17, man. He's there's this guy. Uh, there's, there's a, there's Pokusevsky who is, I think confirmed the youngest guy from overseas. Again, another draft Twitter diehard guy. Um, and that's, a whole nother episode that I'm sure plenty of people have covered. So we won't talk about him because everyone loves Poku, but yeah, Kara Lewis um, he is super young, super fast, possibly. I mean, I feel like the shot's going to come going to be even better. Than, it's already like, okay. And I think it's going to be better. And I think that that kind of blaze, you can never have enough, in my opinion, just absolutely blazing speed guys in the NBA. And what, even even if that's like Ish Smith, I think Ish Smith is a quality NBA player, even though he's not going to do that much for you. If if Kyra Lewis is Ish Smith, I still consider that a completely fine fine move. That that's a deep comparison right there. That's how I know like your knowledge is elite because a lot of guys <laughs> does not appreciate Ish Smith, and I've been on him since he even got in the NBA. <laughs> yeah, he's been in there. He's been in there longer than I than I realized. I'll. I'll pull them up. I know we've gotten we've gotten well off of our schedule with the sleepers. We only have one left though, so I think it's okay to kind of kind of yeah. go through this. Yeah, Kyra Lewis. Um, yeah, Ish Smith. Wow, he's this is his ninth year. That's crazy. Um, Ish Smith. Yeah, he so he puts up like eleven points, eleven points per game. Shoots thirty six percent from three. Not a great defender, but just so fast. Going to make some plays. I think that I think Kyra Lewis can be better than that. But at worst, I think near worst case scenario with him is you're getting Ish Smith, which is totally fine for me. 
Yeah, like like you said, man. Uh, a pushing it comparison for Kyra uh, would be De'Aaron Fox, of course, or you know John Wall, because we're talking about speed and they're around the same height. But he obviously is going to have to develop like Fox did, and Wall just kind of came in, just hitting the ball rolling. So. Yeah, yeah. It's I think with Kyra, it's going to take a lot more time. And like the Kings gave gave Fox kind of free reign in his rookie year, and he and he. I mean, his rookie year was bad. No doubt, but but you kind of knew that there was stuff there. I don't think you could do that with with Kyra and say like, "Here's the keys, go just make something happen," and kind of let him go. I think he's someone you have to develop a little bit more. But yeah, as far as speed goes, like you have Fox. I think I think Lewis also has to get stronger. He's only I don't think he's he, he, is he 170 pounds even. I think he's 170 pounds. I'll check that. But like he's got to put on probably at least 10 or 15 pounds before you yeah uh, the ringer has him at 165 and i think you gotta you gotta get to 180 at this point before you before you say you can fight against nba caliber point guards yeah no doubt uh so we can i guess in that case i know we we got a little bit into another popular sleeper in carol lewis but We'll move on to the last guy. This is someone I picked. This is someone I have as a probably a top twenty-five, top twenty-five prospect. Even though most guys don't have him that high, and that's Emmanuel Quickly on Kentucky. I absolutely love this guy's skill. This guy's set of skills, his potential role in the NBA, everything that he does and is right now, even with all his flaws, I think is tailor-made for what the league is right now which is a guy who is six, th- I've seen six, two, six, three. I, I think he's six, three with a wingspan. That's between like six, eight and six, 10, which is fantastic. Absolutely elite, elite shooter, 40, 43% on crazy volume uh, is, is just an unbelievable shooter. And I know his mechanics is a, are a little, little weird, but I don't think they're that bad. So I would, I'm not going to worry about like his low release point or whatever. And he just he he can get into a shot in so many ways. Uh, off the catch, he has a, he has a quality sidestep and step back. He can come in like run around the entire three point line, grab it, shoot it so quickly. He can spot up. He can he can create his own three. He can pull up. There's he's just an awesome three point shooter. And I think that people have gotten caught up in quickly as this guy that is too small to be a too small to be a shooting guard, not good enough passer to be a point guard which I agree with the latter. I think he's, he's not going to run your offense. But 6'3", as a shooting guard with the length that he has, that's really not that much. That's not that much smaller than some of the guards that they put out in, in the NBA right now. I know you're going to have some issues sometimes, but, I mean, Bradley Beal's, what, 6'4"? Six, six, I mean, there are plenty of guys that, they, that roll out and are in the 6'3 to 6'4 range. And I think quickly with his length, then I think you're, I think you're going to be okay because he's a really great on-ball defender too. Yeah, when quickly he was one of my favorite players. You're talking about a guy that made a tremendous improvement, went from basically a role player to SEC Player of the Year. Um, when you go from playing 18 minutes and averaging five points to playing 33 minutes and averaging 16, that's honestly a huge improvement in role. But he cherishes his role and he. Honestly, led that Kentucky team, in my opinion. If you 
paid attention to Kentucky, he was one of the main guys talking. And where I would like him at is kind of one of those guys that could, you know, get a bucket. But I can see him guarding the best guard on each team, if you ask me. He's very humble, a uh, very hardworking guy, of course. Um, you know, I, it's kind of hard. NBA comparison, I'm kind of going with Eric Bledsoe, which is kind of reaching it. But they kind of played the same role, in my opinion. Yeah, I think if you had some if you had some bulk, I could see the Bledsoe comparison. I think we quickly one of the things people have criticized him a lot on, in addition to his his size, is the fact that he was pretty bad around the rim. He doesn't have a lot of touch around the rim. And because he's not that strong and just doesn't have a lot of that touch and isn't he's not an explosive athlete. He's he didn't finish very well. I think he finished like forty two percent at the rim, which is which is really bad, and uh, that's that's a problem. At the same time, it's not like he's not attempting. He's pretty aggressive when he gets a lane. He he'll drive. He's really good at drawing fouls. I think his free throw rate is something like forty seven percent. Yeah, forty forty seven percent, and that's fantastic, especially in the NBA where you're going to get. I think you're going to get more foul calls and you're going to be able to go to the line where he shoots 92%. So you're getting buckets that way. Um, and I think quickly a guy that's going to benefit so much from NBA spacing where you can take, take someone one-on-one, as you said, on defense, and he's going to, I think I agree with you that he'll probably guard the best team on the floor. At the same time, he's going to benefit so much from, having a team with more shooters around them and more playmakers around them. Because you look at Kentucky last year and Ashton Hagens was a pretty good playmaker, but could not shoot the ball to save his life. And Tyrese Maxey was an inconsistent shooter. Also didn't really have that playmaking role. I know you like him a little bit more as a passer, but that just wasn't what they gave him as the role. And so I think it's going to be a game changer when quickly can be a guy that gets that gets plays drawn up for him, almost like JJ Redick does, honestly, and and can just run around and then pull up and get get shots, like he was able to do sometimes at Kentucky, and that would just, man, I I like quickly so I like him so much. I think he's going to be way better, and I'm surprised that people haven't talked about him enough because his skill set is so modern. Yeah, honestly, and like you were saying with Maxi. Maxi, he was kind of like a Malik Monk guy, except he didn't have the scoring of Malik Monk. But, you know, he showed flashes at time. And quickly, man, I, I think if we could stop looking at height, if draft analysts can just stop looking at height and just look at what he brings to the table, you could put him quickly in the top 20 range, honestly. Because he probably had a better year than most of the guys that are in the top 20 range in general. So, with quickly, it's kind of what teams decide or executives decide. I mean, do you want, you know, a guard where if you're looking at height, man, it, height has always been a problem for certain players. But if you're just one, if you want an absolute stud, I'd go with quickly any day over a lot of guys in the draft. Yeah, I think he's a guy that is going to be able to come in and at least make an impact with his shot. And then there's still like a solid amount of upside as far as he goes. I don't think he's. He's an all-star player. I don't think he's going to be like a primary scorer ever, but he's going to be an elite, elite off-ball shooter. And I think that plus the defense is amazing. And I know he's a little bit older for a sophomore, but I think he's still got room to grow. And he's shown, I mean, like you talked about at Kentucky, 
he's shown that he can really get better in a short amount of time. And so uh, teams I had for him, I have him, the range I've seen him in is 35 to 50. Obviously we both agree that he's probably a lot better than that, but 35 to 50 is what I've seen. My favorite fit with him, I have three and I'll run them by you, but my favorite fit is the Sixers because you pair him with a playmaker like Ben Simmons so that he doesn't have to create too much on his own, but also can be like the shooting weapon that the Sixers need so bad. And he's going to be a part of that culture. And the Sixers have generally been a pretty good defensive team. And so I, I'm a big fan of that fit there. With the Sixers, I mean, it's kind of hard. They don't even know where they're at right now. They true, don't even true. have a head coach. <laughs> and, you know, if he goes to the Sixers, he honestly would – I was about to say the best shooting, like, player on that team, but then I thought about Furcon Korkmaz, who's really just there <laughs> to shoot threes. But uh, it's interesting. I, Philly is kind of hard, man, because, you know, of course, Ben Simmons. But they play a lot of their guards, like Shake Milton and Matisse Thibel and then mm-hmm. Josh Richardson, who are all around Quickly's height. But Quickly actually shoots better than those guys. So, I mean, with Philadelphia, it would kind of be where they're one ahead, to be honest. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a good point. You mentioned they're at – they're really at a crossroads with what they do with this roster. And – because Richardson has kind of disappointed a little bit as far as what, yes. yeah, as far as what people thought he would do as an impact guy. And I like Matisse Thibel a lot, but he's he's another guy who's going to be a role player. And yeah, it really, I think they're going to do a lot of retooling. The two other teams I have for you with quickly are the Knicks at 38 and Pelicans at 42. And with both of those guys, um, I'm thinking that they complement the rookies quite well in that for the Knicks you're going to have our you're hoping that you're going to have RJ Barrett as the primary scorer and playmaker and he's a pretty good like he's a good passer for for who he is and you just hope that quickly is kind of an off-ball guy that he can pass to knock down threes on the other end play good defense and kind of mask what a lot of the Knicks guys don't do which is play defense and then same thing with the Pelicans, honestly. Like you, you take, you take quickly and have him as a guy for Lonzo and Zion to to hit, and then on the other end, maybe Lonzo takes someone that's bigger, like the bigger of the guards, and then quickly can take someone who's a little bit faster, and play like good defense on a point guard, and then Lonzo takes the shooting guard and can get steals and stuff. So that was my line of thinking with those two teams. Uh, the Knicks, another team, they have no idea where they're at right now. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, quickly could honestly go to the Knicks and start at the one, in my opinion, because that, that one position over there is not very competitive, really any position, you know, besides <laughs> R.J. Barrett and Mitchell Robinson. I do love Mitchell Robinson a lot. He has a huge upside. And when it comes to New Orleans, man, I would love him at New Orleans because what they've done with Brandon Ingram is honestly fascinating. Uh, Basically let him go, but also worked with his shooting touch. And, you know, it'd be great for him to learn from a mentor like J.J. Riddick. You know, they kind of played the same role, even though it was two different levels of basketball. But learning from J.J. Riddick could develop Emmanuel quickly into a great role player. And, you know, if he gets his ball handle up, then he could potentially be – you know, a even more impact player. 
But yeah, I actually do like that Pelicans fit. The Knicks is kind of just like the 76ers. They have no idea what they're doing right now. It's kind of just all a mess over there. You know, but people do want, you know, big names right now. Knicks fans, they are kind of bad. Knicks has one of the worst fan bases, in my opinion. <laughs> but, yeah, I can honestly see that Pelicans fit, though. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, I, I agree with you on the Knicks. They're just going to try and – they just got to keep swinging and hope they hit on some some kind of star type of player. I also wouldn't be surprised if they took someone that was like a superstar college player just so they can start to find some depth. Maybe they take like a Cassius Winston or a Peyton Pritchard kind of guy who can just like be a scorer and then you, and at least you have like a piece for the future. Uh, but yeah, the Knicks are in a weird spot and maybe quickly is not that guy. Cause he doesn't have, he doesn't have a whole ton of star upside. His upside is just that he's going to be a really productive winning player, but yeah. I, and to stay with the Knicks, I do want to ask, I know we've been talking about sleepers, but what do you think they, how do if you're in the Knicks GM, and you're probably a better Knicks GM than most of the past Knicks GMs. So how do you approach this draft where you have picks, I believe it's 8, 27, and 38. I think that's all you got. But how do you approach this draft as far as finding needs if you're the GM? All right. So with that 8 pick right now, according to NBADraft.net, they're looking at Killian Hayes. You know, he's a great guy, but honestly, I'm just going to go with no because, I mean, their history with past international players. Porzingis, obviously, he got booed on draft night, but turned out good. And then uh, Frank Natikalina, he just, I mean, I, I have no idea where he's at right now. So I honestly don't go with another foreign player that you think would kind of be good, even though he's good. If I'm the Knicks, it seems like, they say right now, you know, you got Killian Hayes, another point guard, and then with their other late first-round pick, you're talking about Devon Dotson. So I guess what draft analysts are thinking is the Knicks are going to go get a point guard. If I'm going to go that early, uh, I mean, I'm going to be honest, Tyrese Halliburton and LaMelo will probably be off the draft. So I go with Cole Anthony, a guy who has a big name, if you want to bring in a big-name guy. So I use that first pick for Cole Anthony. And then if you do want to get another point guard, Devon Dotson, who's obviously a stud, another big name in college basketball if you're attacking big names. And then with their 38th pick, they're going with Yudoka Azubuki, another big name in college basketball. But I don't really see him fitting with the Knicks because, like I said, Mitchell Robinson's a great guy. Bobby Portis, you know, another Arkansas guy, of course. So I'm going <laughs> to shout him out. But, I mean – I would honestly, I would keep their their second two picks with Azubuki and Dotson. If you want to keep the big name guys, you know, give you guys some hope or something, give your fans some hope. But with that first pick with Hayes, I wouldn't go with Hayes. I'd go with Cole Anthony, honestly. Okay. Yeah, Hayes, I really like Hayes as a prospect a lot. And most, a lot of draft guys do. The Knicks would not be the best fit for him. I think just because their organization is so hungry for instant impact and Hayes one might take a little longer because he's a little he's a little bit more developmental and two might take some time to adjust to the to the NBA game after being overseas so they might just get impatient with him like they did with Frank uh I like I know the Knicks want to go for the big name at eight I like Devin Vassell a lot just because he is going to be instant three and D underrated athlete too honestly and I think if you're the Knicks and you can kind of focus on, hey, we have R.J. Barrett, who we trust. Mitchell Robinson's pretty good. Let's get 
some quality role players around them so that RJ Barrett doesn't have to do everything himself and have a rough year like he did last year, maybe then you kind of start to build a positive culture. So I think Vassell is a great guy there. 27, I like Devon Dotson. I, I'm usually honestly not a huge fan of the, of the older, like productive college guys, but Devon Dotson is a guy I really like. And he, cause he's proven that he can run a team well and run a team in a kind of big, a big market as far as colleges go. Um, and I think that that's going to be helpful. He also was, I believe, a, I think, so we shot 31% from three, but I think that's a little misleading. I think that's going to get better. Uh, pretty good defender. I know he's not, he's not, doesn't have great size, but pretty good defender, works hard. Wouldn't be surprised if they took him there. And then at 38, I mean, maybe they take, uh, I think you take, as you said, another name at 38, just to give you some more hype around your overall class. I don't think, I don't think Udoka's going to get picked that high, but maybe it's someone like, yeah, like Cassius Winston or Peyton Pritchard. I think getting more bigs would help. I'm trying to think of who is productive that that's around that range. Uh, maybe like, oh. I was just going to say that Devin Vassell was a, that was a good one. I love Linder Hamilton guys, man. Yeah. Yeah. Florida State does such a great, does a great job with, like getting guys prepared for the next level, even if they're not like national player of the year candidates. Like you had Jonathan Isaac was, was awesome. I'm so excited for Scotty Barnes to be there next year. I think he's going to be, he's going to be great there. Uh, for, for the sake of my friends and family and fans in Arkansas, I'm not even going to talk about Scotty Barnes. <laughs> they, they know I talk about Scotty Barnes every day because he's literally my favorite player on any level. So I'm just going to leave it at that. Yeah, I know you uh, – we'll, we'll, um, we'll take an episode out for guys like Scotty Barnes soon so that we can give you the floor. But – yeah, he's awesome. Florida State does a does a great job. I mean, they have Patrick Williams too. Is like a really solid lottery prospect with some upside in this same you know, draft class. You know, they got a couple of guys at the Clippers right now who's playing some decent roles. And Terrence Mann and uh, Amir, yeah, Terrence Mann, yeah, Terrence Mann. He, they they moved Terrence Mann to point guard. I never saw that coming with the Clippers. Honestly. Yeah, me neither. I didn't. I didn't think he was going to be a this year guy, and here he is. They also had um, is Kevin Gelly, right? Was from Florida State, and he's yeah, he's here. And I know he like he hasn't jumped in and made an impact yet, but I really liked him as a prospect. I think he's going to be pretty good. So, do you think that do you think New York goes with a big with that thirty eight pick? Uh, they, I don't think they necessarily need to. I mean, they really just need best player available because they're so starved of talent. I think. The more wings you get, the better. Maybe they take a guy like Robert Woodard, although I don't think he's the kind of guy that they would target. Maybe they take Reggie Perry, honestly, although I don't I don't think either of them are are guys that I would see the Knicks hunting after. Yeah, maybe they really they take, could go everywhere there. Maybe they take Isaiah Joe. <laughs> yeah. I I mean Isaiah Joe, we haven't we haven't talked about him. He's I think we both I you must love Isaiah Joe. I know I like Isaiah Joe. Um, as long as he's healthy, he's awesome. Yeah, Joe, probably the, uh, yeah, probably the best shooter in this year's draft class, being honest. Yeah, he's, and I know he, like, he didn't have a great 
year this year as far as just percentages go, but don't be fooled by that. Like he, he's lights out. There's as far as shooters go, I'd probably go. Um, you got uh, this isn't in order, but you have I'd say Isaiah Joe and Desmond Bain one two because they are both fantastic. Uh, Quickly's right up there. Devin Vassell's right up there. Um, there was someone I just had that I completely blanked on who was all, oh Tyrell Terry from Stanford. Uh, there, I would say that's probably my top five. If you're just going to go like translatable shooters, I'd probably pick those guys. Yeah, you can put uh, Peyton Pritchard right outside of that group too as well. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pritchard for sure. All right. I guess that, I mean, that pretty much wraps up our scheduled segment. Is there any more? Because we, for those who don't know, obviously, this is our first episode. We're usually not going to spend that much time on the current draft class because we're trying to get into uh, the incoming college class, the high school classes. Uh, but since we're here, we'll probably retouch on this when it gets closer to draft time. We'll probably have, who knows, like a mock draft, a big board, some kind of thing that we can we can work on together. But right now, since this will be our probably our last draft-related episode for a little bit, is there any, any other player storyline you wanted to kind of give the floor? Uh, I just want everybody to be on the lookout for Jay Scrub, man. A guy who's uh, coming from JUCO that ever since he announced, uh, you know, he was going to go to Louisville, but he decided to keep his name in the draft. JUCO guys, six 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 seven range. Uh, one of the best scores probably in this draft, even though he hasn't been able to prove it on the high major D1 level. But he's been projected in the draft ever since he's chosen to even, you know, decide to go to the NBA. So it would be interesting to see a guy come from JUCO to the NBA. It's been a while since we've seen that. Yeah, it has. And he – I've seen his name around. I don't know too much about him, but I've seen his name pop up on boards, and I think that's really interesting. Is he – is he also young too? Isn't isn't he only he might only be nine nineteen? I'm gonna He's yeah, I think he's in that nineteen to twenty range. Wow. So yeah. you know, kinda young, kinda old at the same time. That's but, I mean, that's impressive considering he's a young JUCO guy and he's already got draft stock. That's really crazy. Yeah, he's a freakish athlete, but he's a lefty with the jumper. So that's what a lot of people has been looking at. And plus, he's coming from uh, John Paul Logan, who's kind of like a Juco powerhouse. Uh, guys like Mario McKinney go there, who was at Missouri originally this year. He had to go down. Interesting to see where he'll go. But yeah, John Paul Logan, a Juco powerhouse, producing a guy like Jay Scrub. I mean, honestly, it, it was expected. Yeah, wow. Yeah, I'm looking at his, um, his numbers. He shot, he averaged 22 points per game. Really good rebounder for a guard. And he, oh, he's 6'6", six, 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 I guess kind of more of a wing but yeah he's he's a great rebounder he shot 46 percent as a freshman not as efficient as a sophomore but I mean that yeah that touch is there as as evident so I'll keep an eye on him because I would be I would be surprised if he got drafted but honestly like that that screams like two-way guy who a team puts him on a two-way and you're like, oh, that's weird. But then all of a sudden he's looking great in the G League and then you bring him up and he's and he's ready. So he, I think that'd be really intriguing to watch. Yeah, I mean, it's honestly another one of those guys that can be hit and miss. Like we said, it's a hit and miss draft. <laughs> yeah, why not? I mean, why not take a reach on this guy? I guess that pretty much um, 
takes us to the end of this of this show. Uh, interesting, exciting first episode. I'm glad we kind of we hit our guys. We also talked about the draft in general. This is an exciting draft because we have no idea who is going to really come out of this as a star or even like as an NBA as an NBA player and a productive player. So anyone has a sleeper. I think if you if you have a sleeper in mind and you can justify them, I think you're pretty good, honestly, at this rate. Like there's so, so much unpredictability. In our next episode, we're going to get into some high school players. Um, we got the 2021 class. And I think unless something changes, we're locking in. Um, you'll be talking about Pat Baldwin and Paulo Banchero. I'll be talking about Jabari Smith and Chad Holmgren, who are ranked as the top four. We're going to break down if that ranking is valid, um, what these guys might be in high school, college, NBA, break down what makes these guys unique, and a lot more. And I know uh, Rashad knows, a, I would say, a good deal more about the high school game than me, so he'll probably be teaching me a pretty solid amount. So I'm excited for this one. Yeah, uh, a lot of interesting guys. And like I've said, with high school, it's dominated by bigs. And if you would say so, all of four of those guys are bigs. So... <laughs> Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting one to look at because they're they're all bigs, and then when they get to the next level, they're probably all gonna kind of slide down a little bit because they're all. I mean, they're all, all four of those guys are in what like six, like eight to six ten range. Yeah, outside of Chet, who's a legit seven. Oh yeah, Chet, so, yeah, yeah. Chet's seven foot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I mean Chet on his own is one of the strangest and really interesting prospects that we've seen in a long time. Cause he, he's so bizarre. And I think that'll be really fun to talk about. So yeah, we'll, we'll get ready for that next episode. Um, any, any final thoughts? Uh, it, it, this was a great episode. We kind of went very long, but if you like sports, you're really going to watch this whole thing. Cause we, we covered a lot. We talked about a lot. We gave you multiple perspectives. So if you like sports and you got friends that like sports, honestly, I would recommend this podcast. Uh, I mean, I would too. I feel like we're talking about, we're trying to catch the storylines that maybe you miss when we're talking about LaMelo ball versus Anthony Edwards or something. So I think this is going to be, this is going to be cool. If you're into scouting into looking at who's coming up next we're going to do our best to give you some quality quality insight and excited for what's coming up so uh, stay tuned we'll be back in a little bit next episode talking about the top of the 2021 class uh for Rashad Landers I'm Ethan Fuller thanks so much for joining us and we'll see you next time